morning, Mercy Hill. I hope everyone is doing well this morning, this Labor Day weekend. I am very excited um, and humbled to be able to share God's Word with you today, um, and also to be wrapping up this sermon series that we've been going through of Who's Your One? So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the five pillars or elements of how we can witness and why we should witness to that one person in our lives that we are praying for and that we're being intentional about witnessing to. So the first week, Nate talked about joy and how the joy of Christ and all he has done bubbles out through us, and how knowing his mercy and grace and dying on the cross should bring us joy, and we find our joy in him. The second week, we talked about compassion, the compassion for the lost, a heart for those who are right now doomed to hell and damnation, but that we should have the love of Christ on them as God has shown to us. We talked about hope and that our hope is only in God, that in Christ we find salvation. Last week we talked about holy unrest or urgency to spread the gospel, to share this message with those who are around us, our friends, our family, um, our co-workers, and the lost. And today, I have the courage to spend the next few hours with you, just kidding, uh, talking about courage. I'll tell you that this particular uh, week in preparing, or actually week and a half preparing for this message, um, reflects a journey that Laura and I have been on for the last few years. Uh, I'm going to tell you that this is a difficult passage in that it should convict us. It should call us to action. Uh, If we read Acts, uh, Luke does just a wonderful job in uh, talking about the early church and how the apostles built that church on the foundation of Christ But also it leaves us a very clear role model of how our church should work today. Unfortunately, we don't see that in America quite as often as we should. And so before we we jump into the passage today, we're going to dive into Acts 5, 27 through 32, I wanted to give you a little bit of context, give you a little bit of idea of where we find Peter and John. Okay, so if we look at the first couple chapters of Acts, we have the Spirit coming down on the apostles, the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. We also have Pentecost, where they save thousands of people, and they speak in tongues, to the different foreigners who had come to Jerusalem to hear them preach. And we see them in action, preaching the gospel in the temple. 
And what we find is just a few days earlier, Peter and John were in the temple and were arrested. And the elders and rulers of the Jewish court gave them a harsh warning to stop preaching in Christ's name. See, the Jewish leaders thought that this was just another fad, another thing that had come along. See, there are a lot of religions were popping up in this time and false prophets. And so they thought that this was just another ragtag bunch spreading some kind of nonsense. But what's incredible is the Holy Spirit filled them to go back. They get thrown in jail. God releases them from jail. And what do Peter and John do? They don't head for the hills. They go right back to the temple. They go right back to preaching the gospel in the temple where they were just told not to do. And so it's in this context that we come to that we find our heroes back in front of those religious leaders of the time. So pray with me one more time before we dive in to this passage. Father, it is sometimes humbling to think that you came down, wrapped yourself in flesh, Lord, lived a life and died on a cross for our sins, for our folly. Then we're raised three days later, Lord, and set the apostles to task to go and make disciples of all nations, Lord. We being one of those nations, the Greeks, not your chosen people of the Old Testament, Lord, but when you came, as it says in John 3.16, so that all may be saved. Lord, open our hearts as we look at this passage today, Lord. Let us hear your command to us. Lord, let us be called into action. In your son's name I pray, amen. So if you will, turn with me to Acts 5, 27 through 32. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles there in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, that is our gift to you. So Acts 5, 27 through 32. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priests questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in the name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring the man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostle answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior 
to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So what we have to understand here is that what Peter and John were doing was not just some thumb-nosing to those religious leaders. This was much more serious than that. This was a play on the power of those high priests and Pharisees. See, what the consequences were, if you read on to in 33, when they heard, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. See, the cost was much higher than just a, well, we're going to do what we want, or some kind of civil disobedience. See, this was their lives that were at stake. And in the face of this, it failed in comparison to what the Holy Spirit in them was driving them to do. And what's interesting is we see in Acts 4.29, you don't need to turn there, but let me read this for you. And now the Lord look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That was their prayer. Their prayer was not comfort. Their prayer was not an easy life. Their prayer was to have boldness, to continue to speak the word. See, ultimately, the apostles knew that they must obey God. And what's interesting is we see in the, the verse there, ironically, the, the Jewish rulers were accusing them of trying to bring their blood on them by continuing to talk about Christ and how he died on a cross. And what they actually were doing was that exactly. See, what they were pointing out is that it was the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who brings us salvation. See, those, those high priests did not realize that. They did not realize that what Christ had done was save us all. And we see even Peter saying in, 20, or in 32, we were a witness to these things. And so even as they're being condemned by the high council, Peter is still trying to spread the gospel. He's telling them that Jesus was raised, that they had killed him, but that God had raised him to the right hand and that he was our Savior and to give us repentance, an avenue to repent. So Peter, even in this situation, is trying to witness to those leaders, to try to share the gospel with them. So I wrote here the Webster, I guess, definition of courage. So what is courage? And it's the ability to do something that frightens one. 
So we're going to have a little bit of interaction. That's why I want everybody to have a bulletin. In that first line there, I want you to write this question. Is what do I fear the most? Now, I want us to reflect on that for a little bit. Now, I will tell you that I use Laura as my sounding board, and she did give me permission to share this. Um, I, get, I use Laura as my sounding board as I'm going through my sermon and, and stuff like that. And I asked her, what, what are you afraid of? And she said, bees and babies. So we're, we're <laughs> that's not really what I'm looking for. <laughs> but what we're looking for is not spiders or heights. I'm asking you, what do you fear? And I mean, what is it that is in the back of your mind that changes the way you act every day? What is the, what is the thing that keeps you from doing whatever? See, that's what we really need to do is get to the root of what our fear is. So that, see, courage is not the lack of fear. Courage is understanding your fear and facing it. See, that's, that's the difference. For us to have courage, one, we have to know what our fear is, but then we have to have the power to face it. So what we see in this passage is, is two very contrasting views. And I really feel like if we could get our, our mind wrapped around the, these two different views, that we could turn Shepherdsville on its ear. That we could share the gospel in a way like these early Christians did in the early church. What we notice in Acts is they were saying very, very controversial things to those people of the time. Again, like we had talked in our family series this past summer, they were using family, leave your mother and father behind and come join the church so leave the most important thing culturally and come and join the church family. That was very controversial. Yet they came in droves because of the desire and the hope and the joy that they found in Christ. So I feel like if we get our head wrapped around this, again, we could really impact the world in a big way. So what the first view that we see here is the fear of man. Let me, let me dive into that a little bit. The fear of man. What, what does that mean? Well, what it means is the high priests and the Pharisees and these the temple leaders, their whole power was based on the assumption that I can only talk to God through them, I have to do these sacrifices, and they control it. Now remember, when these disciples showed up and started talking about Christ and the free grace and mercy that we received through him, that flipped the whole economic structure of the temple upside down. See, this temple was a business. If we remember, when Christ got to Jerusalem and upset the tables, it was because they were selling sacrifices and things at the front door. There was a business, there was an economy to the temple. See, power is man's fear. 
See, I only gain power if I can make someone afraid of whatever consequences that is. Dictators rise to leadership that way. Bullies at school by building consensus among their peers that they are somehow superior. See, power is really a construct of building on people's fears. So the early, these earthly treasures and pleasures and power and all that stuff can be impressive, but still pair in comparison to Jesus, the Most High God, the God who is worthy to be exalted. He's supreme over all and creator of all these things. But as humans, what we do is we distort. We distort those things. We think of making things for our own pleasure. We think about things like sex and money and all those things that become our idols. Sometimes our children, our status, all those things roll back to the fear of man. Why do I want more money? Honestly, why why do we want more money? So we're comfortable, but what's comfortable? What's the definition of that? Where do we get that definition? We get that definition from man. See, God said that he would provide for us. If he provides for the birds of the air, then he would provide for us because he loves us. Right? And so this construct that we have of all these earthly treasures is made and built by man. So it influences the way we think. It influences the way we act because we're worried about how it will look to someone else, how it appears on the surface. And what's interesting is when it comes down to it, I want to share Christ. And I would be honest in saying that I'd rather be yelled at for it than yawned at it. And what I mean by that is Max Stiles, who's an evangelicist in Dubai, said this, which I thought was very interesting. Is that Christians, as he was talking about the American church, Christians in many parts of the world fear the raised fist, while Americans fear the raised eyebrow. So the American or the Christians throughout the rest of the world fear the raised fist, while Americans fear the raised eyebrow. What's interesting is is Nate even shared uh, the story last week about the couple who was from an Islamic nation here that were Christians, escaped that nation, came to America, and the wife pleaded with the husband to go back because of the satanic lullaby in America. This kind of casual Christianity. See, Christianity cannot be casual. It's not something you just kind of do, right? There are people throughout this world that are dying today because they're claiming the name of Christ. 
today. And here we are. 9% of Shepherdsville are sitting in the pews today. 9%. It's amazing to think that around us, hundreds and thousands of people are damned to hell and we are afraid to offend someone or how someone will look at us. So it's very interesting, that perspective, as we think of the fear of man. So the next, now I want you to write this down, write this question down, if you will. What am I willing to die for? Now, use me as an example. So I got a tattoo on my arm when I was in the army. This is before I was in Christ. Not that I think tattoos are wrong. I think they're all good. But my tattoo is John 15, 13. Is that a passage that sounds familiar to you guys? What it is, is there's no love greater than this than to lay down your life for your friend, brother. Now, what's interesting, and this goes back to how the world uses Bible verses and taglines, that's a military slogan. A lot of us in the military say this exact thing, but we're not quoting scripture. We're quoting it as we're willing to die for our brothers and sisters at our sides in the military. After 27 years in the army, that's something that I was... I was dedicated to. But I did not think of it in the context that Christ was telling us this in John. See, he was willing to die not for just his friends. It wasn't just his friends. It was all people. And not only that, he didn't just die. I mean, it would be one thing that you're dead, right? He took on the wrath of God for not Obviously, he didn't sin, but all of our sins, billions and billions and billions of people over the centuries on his shoulders. So what are we willing to die for? So the fear of God is our next sense. Now, this is... This is something that people sometimes have a hard time with it. And especially in today's culture where you have the false gospel, the prosperity gospel of, well, God is love. I do whatever I want to do. God loves me, right? If I want a Bentley, I'll pray about it. And if I have enough faith, surely I'll get it, right? I don't see that in here anywhere, necessarily. What I do see is the suffering the early church went through. But what's interesting is the healthy fear of God is not the idea of this wrathful God raining down on us, but it's like the healthy fear I had for my father, right? I didn't go do bad things because, well, there was wrath involved. You know, dad would say, hey, go pick out a switch. You know, but when he said to do something, I applied. And a lot of times it wasn't because of that fear, even though it was in the back of my mind. It's because I loved him, right? I loved him so much that, 
Sure, I'd be happy to go mow the grass. Sure, I'd be happy to help you with this project. Right? And that's what we should have with God. God's our heavenly Father who loves us more than anything that we could ever realize or recognize here on earth. We see glimpses of it here in the church. That's what he hopes for. We see a glimpse of it with our relationships, through either our marriages or our friendships. But it's no more perfect than his love. His love is perfect. And what's so great about the fear of God, it is freeing. It's freeing. Because right here we see Peter and John. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed and hanged on a tree. I mean, that fear of God they have here, but they also have a freedom because they know, look, you can kill us. So, right? We'll be raised with, with Christ. I mean, Paul even says, right, death is to gain. So we gain our heavenly treasures, so then what is there that can do to us? If we take away death, I mean, they can abuse us, they can, right? In the military, we used to say you can't punish a quitter because there's nothing that can phase them. But in this, if we fear God, there's nothing that phases us. It shouldn't. We have the creator of the universe is our heavenly father. He loves us. I mean, think of it this way. When you're on the playground and, and people are kind of sparring back and forth, you say, well, I'm going to go get my dad. Well, guess what? We got the best dad, right? We got the creator, the exalted, the God most high. That's who our father is. There shouldn't be anything that phases us. And what we see then in Acts 26, that Paul, as he's talking to King Agrippa, he was cast into prison and put on trial. And Agrippa even says to him, in this short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me might this day become such as I am except for these chains. Paul in chains in front of a king saying, I want to share with you not only now that you would become saved, but that everybody in this room would. That's a freedom that nothing else gives us. There's nothing that can give us a freedom like that. See, our longing is that all creation would join us in embracing and celebrating the centrality of Christ. That if the cross, or if, yeah, the cross of Christ is the crimson thread, that the glory of Christ is the golden thread through everything that we do. It's a message that we should share. It's a freedom and a hope and a joy above any earthly thing. So what do we do now? So we have the fear of man and the fear of God. We know the Pharisees and those that were in the temple, they feared man because they wanted that power. They wanted the earthly possession, a treasure that will fade away, that will rust and turn to dust. 
The fear of God is a freedom, a hope, a joy that is unmatched by anything we can ever experience. So what do we do with that information? We make the choice. See, we can't have this idea of this casual Christianity. There's no such thing. So first what we need to do is we need to begin speaking and spreading the gospel. See, if we look at the connection in the book here, in in the Bible, that the early church grew through the word of Christ. By the way, it wasn't event. It wasn't great worship music. It was not, uh, you know, an egg drop. No offense, used to do that. (laughs) It wasn't those things, it was the word of Christ. The church grew and spread and increased by this. And what we see, Romans 10, 17, is faith comes by hearing, and hearing only comes by speaking the word of Christ. So if we share the gospel... And we speak of Christ, the church will grow. There's no magic formula. And that's what we have to start thinking. There's no event. There's nothing that we can do or hold. Or there's no great worship leader that we could get to come in here. There's no smoke machines, fog machines, dim lights, or whatever. It's by spreading and speaking the word of Christ. And let me give you an illustration. Imagine a bathtub, right? So you put the stopper in the bathtub and you turn the water on to fill the water. What happens to the bathtub? It begins to fill, right? And fill. And what's happening is as you're filling it with the teaching, so the water is the teaching of Jesus, right, that nothing can stop it. And eventually it will overflow. So think of this city. If we start to fill this city with the teaching of Christ, then the church will continue to grow. In Acts 1.8, they said the spreading and the teaching would increase the numbers of believers and that it should start in Jerusalem and Jerusalem would be filled with the name of Jesus. Then Judea, then Samaria, and the filling would extend to the ends of the earth. And I love how Luke makes that point over and over again. We start here. We start with our one. Right? We pray and we witness, and we tell, and we spread, and we talk about Christ. And the next thing you know, they start to believe. And then they start to tell and speak in the name of Christ to their one. See how that works? Then they believe. Then you got two. Then you got three. Then you got five, 10, 20, 100. And it begins to increase. So what would happen if we filled this city with the name of Christ? I mean, we see it Acts 12. But the word of God increased and they multiplied. 
Acts 13, and the word of the Lord spreading throughout the whole region. What was interesting is these Pharisees here thought that if they could kill Christ, they put him on a cross, that it would go away. They were mistaken. It didn't go away. Because people like Peter and John and the apostles and Stephen and Timothy, they knew the power of God is more important. I'm not afraid. I will continue to speak his name. And they spoke his name, and they spoke his name, and then the church grew. So the question is, how can we cultivate that culture that we're eager to keep speaking the name? If we want the tub of Shepherdsville to be full, let's make sure we don't turn off the faucet. Because no one else can turn it off. That goes back to the raised eyebrow. We have the distinct privilege to be born now in this time, in this place, in America. We don't have to fear for our lives. We won't leave these doors today and think, I wonder if my house is still there when I get home. I wonder if my relatives have been rounded up. That's what the churches throughout the world experience. North Korea, there was just a report where a gentleman had escaped and his cousin and entire family was killed for spreading the gospel. We have the, the, the luxury that the most we'll get is a raised eyebrow. So the next, our commission is costly, but it's not complicated. It's costly, but not complicated. I sometimes wear that, that shirt that has the real long Greek word on it that I can't say. But it's the first word of the Matthew 19.18. Go and share. Right? Go spread the, the, go disciple. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we need to go. The commission is our charge from Jesus. It was clear. It, he didn't say, be silent. He didn't say, gather together in your holy huddles. Good thing I've got you guys. He said, go and share. Go and disciple to those who are lost. Go share my name. Speak in my name. Right? And what's interesting is, in the current situation we are in now, we are starting to lose popularity, right? We can lose opportunities for advancement. We may lose friends over this. We may lose family. It's unfortunate. We may uh, refuse to do something and lose business. But if enough people rally around this because of the freedoms that we have here in this country... We can change the dynamic of the church in America. If we allow culture to continue to dictate to us what we do, then we're allowing a nation to be given over to hell. It was interesting, uh, Jim Elliott, 
is a missionary and a martyr, said it well. He is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Everything here is, is earthly. It fades with time. I mean, it, nowadays, stuff barely lasts a year, right? Why not give that up? Let us be concerned of our souls and the souls of others. It breaks my heart when I think about, and as I was preparing this and, and reading, I mean, what, what my heart bleeds for is not only those who are lost, who are on the outside of this church, my heart bleeds for those that are sitting in the pew and will go to the pearly gates and say, oh, well, I taught Bible school, I went to VBS, I gave, and Christ says to them, I don't know you. Because what the real measure of love is, is are we doing what God has commanded us to do? God loves us and has given mercy and sacrifice, and in our love and joy, we should do what he's asked us to do, which is to spread his gospel, to share his redeeming, salvatory message, to go and tell the world. And then lastly, what we, we can't do anything without this is the power of prayer. When the church faced threats in Acts 4, and I read that, Acts 4, 29, and Acts 4, 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people for all were praised God for what had happened. They, pr they prayed for boldness to speak Christ. They prayed for the courage to go back into the temple, to face those who are persecuting them, for those who would raise an eyebrow, and again, throughout the nation, for those who would kill them. They prayed for boldness and courage to share the God's word, to share the gospel. And that's what we need to do. See, the Lord answered them, and the Spirit filled them as a result, so they continued to speak the word of Christ in boldness. And that's what we should pray. We should pray that every day. I know that some pray, hey, let, something, let a door open, or let someone come across me, or what have you. We just need to, sh to pray for boldness so that every person we come encounter with, that we are a reflection of God's love in spreading his message. I want to leave you with this. And let's think about this in, in fresh eyes where we look at what, what are we afraid of? What, what do we fear the most? What are we willing to die for? is, and, and this is, David Platt put it so well, what we should be amazed, or what should amaze us is not that there is no way, 
but that there is a way at all. Be amazed that God is still willing and able and eager to save rebels. That God is love. His gift gives eternal life to sinners who have made a mockery of his name. He upholds the worth of his name by sending his God or his son of God to bear the wrath of God so that we can all be swept up in love of God. We should be amazed that there is a way at all. That God loved us all so much that he would give his son. It's refreshing that what we see is how people react to the gospel. And, and what's interesting is, and I want to read this quote from, from Penn Gillette. Some of you guys might know him from Penn and Teller, right? And he puts, I, I think he puts this crystal clear for us as Christians to think about. And this is what he wrote. And this is from a lifelong atheist. And he said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't prophesize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell for not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward. And an atheist who think people shouldn't prophesize, who say, just leave me along and keep me and your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate someone not to share your message? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that that truck was bearing down on you, at some point I would tackle you. That's how, much, how important it is to me. So this is from an atheist saying that he doesn't respect someone who has Christ's word in our heart. We believe in heaven and hell, but yet we don't want to share it with anyone. Now, we're not going to tackle people. I guess we could. We're not going to tackle people. But we're going to tell them about Jesus. We're not claiming that we're superior or better. We're not claiming that we know it all. They're wrong. But what we are saying is that Christ saved a wretch like me. And that there's no more. I mean, I, I think of Paul and Timothy saying, you know, those that, are, that are, have sinned, and I am the leader of them all. No one sinned more than I have. But we need to share that word. Pause for an, a moment and consider all the ways that we have failed to step up and witness. I will tell you, I know my own fears and my own failures. And, and like I said at the beginning of this, Laura and I have been on a, a journey for the last few years now. Um, you know, the ministry, Mark 12, is being born out of that. Uh, 
and a lot of the things that that we're doing um, is built because in reflecting, I, I know that I have failed. I have failed on so many occasions to share Christ's saving grace. But I know this, in Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Christ forgives us. Christ absolutely forgives us. He knows we're going to fail, yet he still made us a part of the plan. That's what's amazing. He could have come down and just saved us all. He could have came down and saved how many ever wanted to save. But he intentionally made us, flawed, broken humans, a part of his plan on how to spread the gospel, to spread his name throughout this world, to share his mercy and grace. And so I just think, well, goodness, I may have failed, but I will not be silent now. I have to share the gospel. I have to build those relationships with people so that I can speak into their lives, so that I can have conversations which sometimes are terribly awkward and sometimes are really hard and sometimes creates friction. But I will love them in the way that Christ loved me. Christ was on a cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Do we have that kind of courage? I say we look to Christ and we find it. He will fill our spirit with the Holy Spirit. He will fill us so that we can speak the name of Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your plan, Lord. To be the hands and feet of your church, your bride. Lord, it's just humbling sometimes. It's very scary, Lord. But we know how important it is. Lord, we know how important it is that we share this message. Lord, that we speak to those who we come in contact with, Lord. That we share your grace, your mercy, your love. That you love so, us so much that you would come and die on a cross. Lord, give us the boldness and the courage now to go out through these doors this afternoon, to go out into Shepherdsville and Bullock County and to share your name, to speak your name to those we come in touch with, Lord. Lord, that they would come and see the love in this room and as they say, you will know, or they will know you by how you love. Let's be your hands, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.